Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOT. And this week, we are going over UFC London, which is headlined by a heavyweight fight between budding prospect Tom Aspinall and the ever veteran Alexander Volkov. I'm very much excited about this fight as we'll finally get to see Tom Aspinall tested against a legitimate veteran who is very tough to put away, only ever been knocked out two times in 43 professional fights. That's a very tough ask, especially at a a big heavyweight division here. And a lot of the big uh, strikers and power punchers that uh, Alexander Volkov has gone up against in the past. So we will really get to find out whether Tom Aspinall is the real deal or if it was just a lot of hype, especially considering that most of his wins have come first round or second round. We have never seen him extended. And I think that a guy in Alexander Volkov could absolutely extend him here. But that takedown or that takedown that breakdown is going to come later on in this podcast uh first thing that we always like to do is go over the betting recap of the last event and that was ufc vegas 40 49 50 i believe it was ufc vegas 50 i could be off either way it was the santos versus Ankalaya fight that's where we saw um another winning event for your boy that's three straight winning events now which means the picks are only on Patreon now. So if you guys want to see what I'm betting for this weekend, you guys are going to have to check out the Patreon. But the plugs are going to come in a, a couple minutes here. Let's get into the betting recap. So uh, we'll start off with the one loss. The one loss was uh, uh, the dog of the night play. One unit on Bruno Silva at plus 150. Um Alex Pereira did a really good job in that fight. I'll give him credit. I was wrong about him. I knew he was a great striker. I knew he'd have the striking advantage, but I was wrong in the fact thinking that uh, Bruno Silva would have takedown success here. He landed, I believe he landed a takedown or two, but could not control Alex Pereira on the ground at all. We saw really good things from Pereira in terms of not accepting that ground or those takedowns, getting back to his feet and then just letting his strikes go and just the, the power and the significant nature in which those uh shots were landing were definitely more impactful than anything that bruno silva was throwing in that fight so credit to alex Pereira backers you know i think a lot of people picking Pereira thought that he'd win via knockout so i think even they were surprised to see this fight go to a decision which the fight doesn't go to the decision was at minus 650 something that i told a lot of people especially on the patreon to be like hey don't be parlaying that that's not something that you want to be parlaying especially in a fight that i think that bruno silva could slow down with clinching grappling and then ultimately just you know forcing it to go late and we don't know if that power of Pereira is going to translate late into this fight and that's exactly what happened so uh, i'll take that one unit loss on bruno silva fading alex Pereira. um but uh i i i don't know I don't know about Pereira. I, I still have question marks about him. I won't be so, you know, flimsy in terms of uh, betting against him anymore. But uh, I look forward to seeing how the UFC matches him up moving forward. Other than that, it was a winning night all around. So uh, let's go with the lock of the night play next, which was a five-unit play on Magomed on Kalaev parlayed with Miranda Maverick. They went out there and did exactly what they needed to do. Uh, Kalaev, actually, he probably would have been a lot safer if he went out there and grappled a lot more, but it seemed like he wanted to get those 25 minutes in, uh, played it very safely, pretty much batted a perfect game outside of getting clipped by Thiago Santos in that second round. But outside of that, it was his fight. Now, a lot of people want to give him flack for saying, oh, he should have demolished him. It shouldn't have been that close. But 
I don't think it was super close per se. You know what I mean? He did a good job in terms of dictating where that fight was going to go. He was pressuring pretty much every single time. Why would he overextend himself and risk getting knocked out by a guy in Tiago Santos who has crazy knockout power? He had Tiago Santos where he wanted them the entire time, behind the warning track. He was, uh, you know, waiting to counter effectively. He won that fight clean outside of that knockdown in round two. So for people that want to, you know, say that Uncle Live sucks now, go ahead, bet against him. Give me better betting lines on him moving forward. This guy is one of the best, if not the best, 205-pounder on the division, uh, in the division. And that has nothing to do with entertainment value. It matters with him going out there and getting the W beside his name. That's exactly what he did this past weekend. Then the Miranda Maverick side... Great performance for her as well. Pretty much how I drew it up. I wish I took a shot on her submission prop. Uh, I know a lot of people got a lot of big money on that. Um, I thought that she was going to grind out Mazo over, um, you know, the first couple, maybe the first round and a half, and then find a TKO on the back end. Uh, but I should have been a little bit more privy to that submission prop as well, considering how wide it was. But all in all, we cash on that parlay, which cashes 3.17 units. That's uh, two straight lock of the night plays in a row, I believe I've hit now. Yep, the one before that was Dustin. Jacoby at UFC 272 um and then lastly we had a one unit parlay on a three fight parlay uh which looked like it was going to crash early here with uh Azamat Mirzakhanov going down bad in those first two rounds but eventually find that Hail Mary KO in round three which allowed us to have that parlay move on to the next two legs the next leg was Dober versus McKinney. It seems like a McKinney fight doesn't go to decision. Is an auto bet no matter the odds. Maybe up to about minus 400, minus 500 or so in every single fight in terms of parlaying that. The guy is a banshee right off the bat. Either he gets that finish quickly or he gasses himself out and eventually gets finished after that. So, um cash that fight doesn't go to decision at minus 225 and then last leg of this parlay was Marlon Moraes and Song Yudong to finish inside the distance. Was there ever any doubt? Song Yudan goes out there and absolutely starches Marlon Moraes and gets that victory. That cashes for 2.26 units as a one-unit parlay. So all in all, 4.43 units uh, of profit on this past weekend. That's a 63% ROI as well. Loved uh, that entire card. Again, minor slip-up on the Bruno Silva side, but I'm glad that we got to see that performance play out over 15 minutes, and I'll accept the loss on the chin there. Um you know, it, it's completely fine. Pereira's a good fighter, and he proved me wrong in certain spots. I'll take that L on the chin every day. But that's why we bet full cards and not just everything on one fight so that we can still go out there and profit 4.43 units, just over $800. Uh, I'd say nine, close to $900 in official profit for me. Uh, but I did cash a couple parlays as well, which added another six or $700 to the bankroll as well. So a solid event. That's three straight winning events now. So if you guys have been following me for a while, you guys know that the picks, official picks, will only be on the Patreon until I hit my next losing event. I already have three bets posted on there. I got two more that I'm planning to place, just waiting on line movement and seeing how that stuff shakes out. And that's available on the Patreon. Link in the description below, five bucks a month, best bang for the buck you're going to get on the market. A ton of work goes into the Patreon and it's uh, criminally underpriced considering how much work I put into it. Prize picks tips, best bets and props article, great Discord community, um, uh, not to mention early access to the breakdowns, all of this stuff. And I got a couple of other things up my sleeve that I'm going to be adding to it very shortly. But uh, yeah, make sure you guys check out the Patreon link is in the description below. Secondly, Check out Coolbet as well. Uh, great supporters of the show. 
Love their website. Sometimes they're a little bit slow with the line movement, which is great. So you can take advantage of certain situations where you might have lacked on getting on the tape early. Uh, you can parlay props as well, which is something a lot of people like to do, especially degenerates like myself. Uh, and not to mention a lot of other great tools to help you improve your betting game as well. So make sure you guys check out CoolBet. Promo code is MMALOTN. Uh, that's, uh, sorry, MMALOTN2. That's the number two. And they're match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. All right, that's a wrap on the intro. Appreciate all the love. Let's try to get four straight winning events in a row. But first, let's get into the breakdowns, right? That's what you guys are here for. Enjoy the breakdowns, and I'll see you guys on the back end for the outro. Mohamed Mukhaev going up against Cody Durden. We got minus 350 on Mukhaev and plus 270 the return on Cody Durden. Now, this is probably one of the highest touted prospects we've ever seen in the UFC, at least in the last couple of years especially considering that this kid has a 23-0 amateur record as well as a 5-0 pro record coming into the UFC. He's still very young, but he still shows a lot of good skill sets, especially in the grappling realm, which is where he gets his best work done. However, I think the hype might be a little bit too much at this point in time, and this minus 350 is unjustified. But wait, don't get me wrong, still picking him to win this fight, as I do think that his jiu-jitsu is slightly slicker than what we're going to see from Cody Durden, which will allow him to either hit reversals or just, you know, do a good enough job in terms of controlling from on top um, and, and just grinding this fight out. But we've seen some, you know, somewhat red flags in his last couple fights, most notably his last fight and his uh, fight three fights ago. The one against Hussein is the one that I'm uh, referring to where we saw a lot of back and forth exchanges. We saw him start to slow down in the second round, but he dug deep and he eventually was able to squeeze out that third round as well. But it was a very back and forth fight. And he's going to get just that here against Cody Durden as well, who's a high or pretty good uh, wrestler in his own right. Um, you know, I think that he's going to have to deal very heavily or a lot with that Cody Durden wrestling style because that's what Cody Durden does very well. He does a good job in terms of imposing his grappling and his wrestling against his opponents, but I'm just not the most impressed with his ability to control opponents on the ground. That's where I think that we'll see Mokhaev actually get ahead uh, of Cody Durden, staying a step of ahead of him in most of those positions, allowing him to kind of, you know, just get the last laugh essentially in all of those scenarios. But Durden's going to bring it. Durden will absolutely bring it here with the striking, with the pressure, with the wrestling, and it's all going to be on Mokhaev to kind of use that against him and hope that, you know, maybe some of these desperation takedowns will allow for trips or reverse from the Mokhaev side even the Mokhaev striking is kind of still developing it seems a lot to be ingrained in a kicking game from the outside uh, not so much with his hands but it's something that's definitely developing to this point I just don't know if he's jumping into the deep end too quick here not saying that Durden's on the deep end of the flyweight division but he is a grizzled veteran the guy is very tough to deal with in the grappling room and he's definitely going to make Mokhaev work in this spot so for me, like I'm picking Mokhaev to win this fight still, but I want to sit back and watch how he deals with these guys, these steps up in competition. Um, I don't know if Durden is the guy that's going to spoil his debut, but I think at a certain point, as Mokhaev starts going up, the ladder and up the rankings i think he's going to struggle more and more so maybe he goes out there and gets a dominant win over Durden and comes in again as a minus 300 minus 400 favorite against somebody who he shouldn't be that big of a favorite against and that's probably where he ends up shit in the bed i just don't know if it's going to be here against Durden. like i said i think the the difference in, in wrestling maybe pure wrestling Durden might be slightly better on paper but i think that mokhaev will be much better uh 
in the grappling and the transitions and you know the scrambles i think that's where he's going to get ahead on Durden and pretty much have the last laugh in a lot of those scenarios so uh, i'm gonna go Mohammed wakayev but this is an absolute sit back let's see how this kid pans out and then go on from there type of situation so uh, official prediction will go with Mohammed wakayev and i'll take him to win this fight via decision Nathaniel Wood versus Vince Morales. We got minus 335 on the prospect and plus 260 on Vince Morales. Now, originally, Wood was supposed to go up against, uh, I believe is, uh, yeah, Ludwig Shalinian, uh, who unfortunately had to pull out due to the ongoing war in his home country of Ukraine. And in steps Vince Morales, hot off of a win over Louis Smolko, who he was able to knock out relatively quickly uh, late last year. Now he's stepping in against a higher level opponent and Nathaniel Wood and I think Nathaniel Wood was the guy that I was kind of looking to fade Vince Morales last time around uh, when I actually took Smoka as one of my big plays that night uh, really overlooking the defensive striking flaws of uh, Louis Smoka that night it seems like Vince Morales when he is successful in his fights he's able to establish his boxing range and kind of dictate the pace with his combinations if his opponents allow him to which have been in fights like Eamon Zahabi and I believe there was one more that's kind of escaping my mind let me just quickly pull that one up uh uh, it was Vince Morales and uh, Draco Rodriguez, both of those fights where he was able to kind of dictate the pace with his boxing and staying in that boxing range. I really thought that Luis Smolka was going to be able to put the pressure on him, put the pace on him, and eventually land takedowns to drown Vince Morales. But the sh- poor striking defense of Luis Smolka left himself open to get KO'd by Vince Morales, and that's exactly what happened that night. However, here with Nathaniel Wood, I kind of like what we're getting here a lot more than what we were getting with Luis Smolka. Uh, Nathaniel Wood, very good striker. Does a very good job in terms of getting in and out of with his strikes. Uh, he moves very well. He's very long and rangy for this division as well. And I think that's going to cause Vince Morales some problems, especially when he needs to be in the pocket to have most of his success. I'd be surprised if Nathaniel Wood is there long enough in the pocket for Vince Morales to uh, land on any significant strikes in those spots. Uh, and I think that more often than not, we'll see Wood get his work done and then get back on out. I do think that Wood, if he wants to drag you to the ground, that's a good way of him to go about this in a safe manner. But I I think he'll be more than safe uh, striking and kind of just implementing the style that he's been or that has gotten him to the game to this point. Usually it's been his durability and his ability to, you know, just land uh, combinations, a lot of kicks as well uh, from range. That's what got him to the big show, not to mention his entertaining style at times. But the John Dodson fight was obviously a, a little bit of a setback for him. And then the Casey Kenny fight, you know, Casey Kenny's a high level opponent at 135 pounds. So I don't think that loss is going to age too badly for him. But uh, here against Vince Morales, man, I'd be shocked if Morales has any success here. Of course, Morales could find that big shot if he has this untapped power that he's finally uh, gotten into, you know, starting off with that Louis Smoka fight. If he's able to land cleanly on Nathaniel Wood here, sure, he could have some success. But I think it will be few and far between in terms of him finding that uh, finding the button on Nathaniel Wood and getting the knockout victory. I do like Woods' uh, output. I like his movement. Uh, he's going to have the hometown advantage here, obviously. But I think that he's going to make it look nice and clean here, uh, dominating Morales from minute one to minute 15. There's the chance that he could club and sub him or even uh, land a big knockout of his own. But I do think for him to be as safe as possible would be the best. And that's just playing on the outside, using his kicks, crashing forward with punches at times but then getting back out before Vince Morales is able to get off any significant damage so uh official pick 
I'm going to go with Nathaniel Wood here. And I'm leaning more so with the fact that he's going to go out there and win via decision. Corey McKenna versus Elise Reed. We got minus 250 on McKenna and plus 200 the return on Elise Reed. Now, I thought going into this fight that I'd be more than happy to take the chalk on Corey McKenna, thinking that she had the potential, thinking that she had a massive grappling advantage, and uh, thinking that she'd be able to get this fight to the ground, control it, or find a submission. But after running the tape, I'm not so sold that that's exactly what's going to happen here. I do think for the most part that McKenna's wrestling game is slightly overrated. I think that a lot of people are putting way too much stock into that, thinking that she's just going to easily ground Reed here and just grind her out. Now, don't get me wrong, I do think she'll land takedowns, but I'm just not sold on the fact that she'll be able to get enough control time or enough damage from on top that could outweigh the potential damage that she's going to take in the striking realm. Because I give the striking advantage to Elise Reed here. She has a pretty clean Taekwondo background, a karate background as well. And I believe she's been studying Taekwondo for over 20 years. But you definitely see it in her fights. She moves in and out very well. She lands a lot of uh, big shots from the outside. She has a great kicking game as well. She has a nice sidekick to kind of establish her range as well. Uh, but I think that a lot of people are taking stock in her UFC debut, which was on short notice and up a weight class against a high-level black belt in Sajara Eubanks, who just normally doesn't get that much respect from the public anyway so i think if people are looking at that fight and saying oh look what sajara was able to do corny mckenna should be able to do the same thing uh -uh -uh. sure mckenna might have some success but to compare sajara eubanks's black belt level jujitsu to mckenna's somewhat green still developing game is completely atrocious in my opinion that is not uh, a good way of approaching it Sure, McKenna has shown decent takedowns and, and grappling in past fights, even on the regional scene, but I still think she has a long ways to go. And Elise Reed, you know, although she does find herself in those positions at times, especially in the regional scene, she finds a way of getting back out of those positions and she finds a way of continuously damaging her opponent, which is obviously criteria number one when we're uh, scoring fights. Uh, I do think that we'll see Elise Reed, you know, uh, get taken down, like I said, but I think we'll see her work back to her feet. And then on the feet, I think she'll be able to land enough strikes and incur enough damage here to possibly make it uh, sketchy for the judges and possibly pull off an upset victory of her own. However, there are a couple of things going against her, right? Obviously, the hometown advantage or home-ish town advantage from McKenna. I know she's not from England exactly, but she's obviously on her side of the world here. Um, although she does train out of Team Alpha Male in Sacramento, Sacramento California. So there are the possible swing of the judges with the crowd with the, whatever shots that McKenna might land. Even if she doesn't land them, the fact that she might get close on landing some shots on the feet, that could sway the judges as well because of the roar of the crowd. But even the takedowns, right? That might get a lot of support from the judges, even if she's not able to get a lot going from on top. But we've, saw, we've seen Reed win a lot of her fights via decision where even though she's getting taken down, she's the one damaging her opponent. And then she's the one getting back to her feet, getting back to work with her... Uh, uh, with her striking as well and her grappling is somewhat coming along as well she does have some decent top control and some nasty ground and pound and i think that's kind of what makes this fight a lot closer than people are making it out to be mckenna should win this fight i am gonna pick her to win this fight but by no means am i saying to go out there and better as a minus 250 favorite i might even come out on the back end here and have a small poke on elise reed because i just think this line is way too atrocious uh elise reed via ko at plus 1100 you know mckenna has shown nothing but durability up until this point but i think that line is a little bit wide given the advantage i'm giving reed in the striking room 
Uh, but even at plus 200, plus 215, what I'm seeing over there on Pinnacle, I got to take a little bit of a shot here on Reed, even if I'm not picking her to win. Again, everybody's going to be like, oh, well, why are you picking somebody that you don't think is going to win? The line, it's betting, it's numbers. That's something that we all have to look out for as well. And in a fight that I feel like is going to be much closer than a minus 250, I got to go with the underdog in terms of a bet. But in terms of a pick, I could see how the possible control time that McKenna is going to get, the possible, or, or no, the inevitable bull takedowns she's going to land here she could control the grappling aspect here but i'm not i'm not giving her as much respect as the odds makers or the public is giving mckenna in terms of controlling this fight on the ground last thing i'll say about this fight uh go back and watch that mikolai fight i believe the ch- that was the italian girl's name that mckenna fought on in cage warriors that's a perfect example of what i could possibly see happening here with elise reed where we saw mckenna land a couple of takedowns she couldn't control the fight on the ground though and then when this was in the striking realm her opponent was controlling the striking with you know crashing in the pocket landing big shots and just getting the better of mckenna in those situations reed could absolutely replicate something like that which is why i'm you know having pause on backing mckenna as a minus 250 favorite all in all this might come back and make me look like a complete dumbass with mckenna landing a takedown and getting a submission relatively quickly but pre-fight and everything that i've seen from mckenna up until this point leads me to believe that this line is just a little bit too wide uh, official prediction is going to be McKenna via decision, but uh, a possible bet on Elise Reed may be due for this weekend. So, uh, official prediction um, Corey McKenna via decision. Timur Valiev versus Jack Shore. We got minus 120 on the Russian and plus 100 on Jack Tank Shore, who's easily one of my favorite fighters on the rise right now. 15 0, goes out there and pretty much dominates every single opponent that he goes up against. And although his finishes haven't really transpired in his last two fights, uh, he was a finishing machine on the regional scene. And I think that could continue. Maybe not so much in this fight as Valiev is very durable, but I do think that uh, his style is very difficult for a lot of people to deal with. When Jack Shore is on, he's able to get this fight to the ground when he needs to, and then from on top, he's very good in terms of establishing that top control, passing to better positions, or even raining down ground and pound from on top, either getting a finish via ground and pound or opening up a submission opportunity for himself, which he takes full advantage of. The guy is super fun to watch, all action pretty much all the time. And his striking is coming along too now, right? That's probably the weakest part of his game, but I do think it's the part of his game that's going to continue to develop and it will come just along as uh, with his wrestling as I do believe you know the wrestling is definitely the best part of his game. Timur Valiev is more of a, a flashy striker than he is a grappler, but he can lean on his grappling if he needs it like he did in the Martin Day fight. But I think that was him more so just trying to play it safe after taking a loss in his UFC debut to Trevin Jones, uh, where he got knocked out in the second round. But that was followed by you know a, a first round uh, or, or that preceded a, a first round where he almost finished Trevin Jones in his own right, threw everything in the kitchen, sing at him, but was still not able to get him out of there. Looked like he gassed and Trevin Jones was able to take full advantage of that now uh taking on a guy like jack shore uh you'd think that he won't engage in the grappling as much he would probably fare better if he tried to keep his range stay on his bicycle and just kick shore from outside but i think we've seen good enough takedowns from shore that he might be able to just collect some of those leg kicks and uh, land a takedown uh as a counter in his own right um, I don't think Valiev has crazy knockout power. Jack Shore has shown nothing but great durability up until this point as well. So I'd be surprised if he gets knocked out by some flash type of KO or something from uh, Timur Valiev. 
and I do think that Shore will have tremendous success in terms of corralling Valiev, getting his hands around him, eventually dragging him to the ground, and just just doing work on the ground. Uh, Jack Shore was a plus 150 favorite earlier in this week. A ton of money and a ton of love coming on him, making him a, a plus 100 dog now. And I wouldn't be surprised if this actually goes off as a favorite for Jack Shore come fight time. But I do like the Jack Schroer side here. I completely understand why the money is coming in on him. Very high-level prospect. And I think he has all the tools to become a, probably a top five guy in this division as long as things continue to improve, especially his striking realm uh, or the striking side of things. As that, Like I said, that's probably the weakest part of his game. But if he can bring that up even to 75% of what his wrestling is and his grappling is, this kid's going to be a problem for everybody. So uh, I like the Jack Schroer side here. I think he... Uh, grinds out value of over 15 minutes and takes home a decision victory nikita krilov versus paul craig we got minus 190 on krilov and plus 160 the return on the bear jew paul craig now this is going to be a fun fight both guys more often than not like to go out there and get the finish i believe in krilov's career he's only ever been to a decision three times in 32 fights sorry 30 yeah uh, sorry, he had 32 straight fights that finished inside the distance before his last three fights, which have all gone to a decision. But, you know, he, he took the safe approach in the Johnny Walker fight, dragging the fight to the ground and trying to grind out Johnny Walker. And then in his last fight against Magomed Ankalaev, came up short after he had a very successful first round, but was able, uh, but unfortunately crumbled under the pressure and the grappling of Magomed Ankalaev in rounds two and round three. On the Paul Craig side of things, never gone to a decision outside of that one draw that he went to show, went to with against Shogun Hua uh, in a very hard-fought back-and-forth fight, but he managed to get that rematch against uh, Shogun Hua two fights ago, and he absolutely demolished him, forcing Shogun Hua to tap out to strikes in the second round. His last time out, he pulled off another big upset where he was able to get an armbar against Jamal Hill, broke his arm, uh, and uh, really upset a lot of people as uh, a lot of people thought Jamal Hill was going to run through Paul Craig, myself included. <laughs> but uh, we saw a little bit of greenness and uh, from the fight IQ of Jamal Hill in terms of tangling with Paul Craig on the ground there, and we saw Paul make him pay for that. This one's a tough one, right? Krilov likes to go out there and grapple more often than not, but when he does keep it in the striking realm, his his striking is pretty good. He has good combinations. He has big power as well, which I think something that's something that Paul Craig will will struggle with because Paul Craig is going to be looking to drag this fight to the ground. That's where he does his best work. That's where he's able to wrap up the plethora of submissions that he's able to get on his record. Uh, the fight doesn't go to the decision is what stands out to me most here. It currently sits around minus 200, but I just... The, the the two things that kind of weigh on me here is if Paul Craig does get takedowns but plays it safe and just tries to control Krilov on the ground, that could be a concern. And then on the flip side with Krilov, if he doesn't want to overextend too much in you know in fear of getting taken down, he could just go out there and win a point uh, fighting style uh, matchup here uh, over 15 minutes. That's a little bit of a concern as well, right? But the majority of losses on. Um, Krilov's record so he has eight losses on his record five of them have come via submission which is a huge red flag here which is why I can't be overly confident on the Nikita Krilov side especially if this fight hits the ground there's not many guys that are as active as Paul Craig is off of his back which is why he's able to catch so many submissions off of his back it's not often you get submissions off uh off uh, an opponent's back especially you know in men's MMA you see it more so in women's MMA where they're able to pull up an armbar from guard or something like that. But it doesn't happen in men's MMA. 
unless you're looking at Paul Craig fights because that guy loves throwing up submissions and more often than not, he gets it. So that that is a big concern if uh, you know with having confidence on the Krilov side. I am still going to pick Krilov though. I do think he does establish that power striking style, lands combinations, and eventually finds a knockout. But the fight doesn't go to decision is probably my favorite bet in this spot. It would be like minus four hundred, minus four fifty had it not been for the last three fights on the Nikita Krilov side. But if you look back at those fights. I completely understand why they went to a decision here against Craig, though. You know, Krilov can't just grind out top position. He's going to be fighting uh, submission attempts the entire time. And then in the striking realm, I think he absolutely blows Paul Craig out of the water. So official prediction is Nikita Krilov by knockout. But the uh, the, the fight doesn't go to decision is probably something that will be parlaying in a couple of spots here. Sergey Pavlovich versus Shamil Abdurrahimov. We got minus 300 on Pavlovich and plus 250 the return on Shamil Abdurrahimov. Now, both of these guys have been outside of the cage for an extended period of time. I believe both time uh, both guys, uh, the last time they stepped into the cage was late 2019. And both guys have had a plethora of issues to deal with in terms of stepping inside uh, the cage again. But luckily, we get to see them throw down once again this weekend. Now, the 40-year-old Shamil Abdurrahimov is an on an unfortunate two-fight losing streak right now where he got finished by Curtis Blades, followed up by a loss to Chris Dawkins last time where he got finished in the uh, second round via KO. But let's cut him some slack for those losses, right? Curtis Blades is fucking Curtis Blades. On the flip side, uh, Chris Dawkins, very good with his hand speed, and he was obviously the faster guy in that fight, which is why he was able to find that chin of uh, Shamil pretty quickly. Uh, it was just a matter of time until he was able to do so. On the flip side for Sergey Pavlovich, he's on a two-fight winning streak after dropping his debut in the UFC via ground and pound to Alistair Overeem. He's since knocked out Marcelo Goem in a minute, and then he followed that up with a knockout of Maurice Green in two minutes, which is why I think the odds right now are as wide as they are. Both guys are on completely opposite trajectories right now, but I don't think that this is something that warrants a minus 300 number on Sergei Pavlovich. Now, don't worry. Don't turn off the, the breakdown yet. I know you guys know that I like my underdogs at times, but I do think that Sergey Pavlovich still gets the win here. I just think the odds are a little bit wide, especially if this fight does find itself going past the five-minute mark. Sergey will obviously have the speed advantage. He have a tremendous power advantage, but at times we see him very gun-shy, and he allows, uh, or sorry, his opponents kind of uh, get a little bit too reckless at time, and then unfortunately pay the price by getting landed on heavily by Sergey Pavlovich, and you know, which usually ends their nights, especially in the last three out of his four fights where he's able to find those victories in the first round. It's because his opponents are just a little bit too aggressive. Abdurahimov is quite disciplined at times you know again he is slow that is kind of the big uh, red flag here not to mention the fact that he's 40 years old but this is the heavyweight division guys can still have success early into their 40s and I think that uh, this is a spot that Shamil if he doesn't get dusted in that first round things could get very difficult for Pavlovich the longer that this fight goes what if he goes out there and takes a grapple heavy approach I think he's a better grappler than Pavlovich. We'll find out this weekend, but I hope that we get to see them lock up and see who is more dominant in the grappling position. I think Shamil could surprise some people. Shamil has some decent knockout power of his own, so that is something that we need to keep an eye on as well, which is why I'm not running to the betting window to throw Pavlovich into a parlay either. Uh, I do still think that Pavlovich gets the win. Like I said, I think his power and speed will be a little bit too much early in this fight. 
but I do have my concerns if this fight does get stretched. Pavlovich in round one is minus 105. I think that's the best bet for this specific fight. But if this gets extended, plus 500 on Shamil to win via decision is not too bad of a look. If I could trust Shamil's chin a little bit more, I'd probably, you know, take the underdog shot on him at plus 250. But uh, Pavlovich seems to be coming into his own right now. There's not much you can really take from wins over Marcelo Gome and Maurice Green. Uh, I think you could take more if he goes out there and beats a guy like Shamil at this point in time. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be as easy as most people are making it out to be. I will still pick Pavlovich to win this fight, uh, but I just can't get behind those odds. So in terms of an official prediction, let's go with Sergey Pavlovich, uh, and I'm going to take him to win this fight via first-round knockout. Makwan Amir Khani versus Mike Grundy. We got minus 190 on Grundy and plus 160 on uh, Mr. Finland. Uh, very interesting line here. A ton of line movement as well in favor of Mike Grundy as the public seems to be pouring in on the Englishman here. Now, both guys primarily grapplers in terms of their striking. Mike Grundy is a little bit more hard-nosed with his uh, power striking style, whereas Makwan Amir Khani seems to be a little bit more flash all with the end result hoping to be with a takedown or an attempted takedown getting this fight to the ground where he's pretty slick with his jujitsu and his wrestling game. However, I think he's going to struggle with getting Mike Grundy to the ground here. And if this fight remains on the feet, you got to lean with the Mike Grundy side who has a ton of power in his hands. And I think he has a slightly better gas tank as well. This guy attempted 20 takedowns in his last fight against Lando Venado, who's a great wrestler in his own right. But the reason I think that we saw Mike Grundy lose that fight was because Lando's a great striker, right? He does a really good job in terms of demanding respect in the striking realm, throws a lot of volume out there, and makes it re look really good for the judges, especially when he's able to stuff 17 of 20 takedown attempts for Mike Grundy. If... Uh, Makwan Amir Khani is able to keep this fight on the feet with Mike Grundy trying to land takedowns. Uh, I just don't think that he does as well as what Lando Venata does in the striking realm. You know, I think that he'll actually be giving up minutes by being on his back foot and allowing Mike Grundy to kind of control this fight with his power striking style. But Makwan might land a takedown. Grundy might land a takedown. But I do think that both guys will be safe enough in, the, in those realms to uh, not get finished or not get submitted or not give up crazy dominant positions in those spots. I do like Grundy, though, in this spot. I do lean him a little bit more. His line is getting a little bit out of whack at this point in time, approaching that minus 200 range. But I still think he goes out there and gets the win. I think he has a more reliable gas tank, a little bit more reliable in terms of putting the pressure on his opponents, and a little bit more reliable with not quitting, right? This guy still was going out there and landing takedowns against Movzar Ivluev, even after gassing himself out in that first round, trying to find the finish against the Russian. But Makwan, we've seen when you know things start not are, are not going his way, he really starts to fold, and he shows it as well uh, with his uh, you know with his posturing and his gesturing and all that. It just uh, does not look the greatest on on film. Even after having successful first rounds, he can still go out there and shit the bed, and that's what could happen in this spot here. Possible live betting opportunity as well on the Mike Grundy side. If he does enter underdog territory going into round two, I do think that he'll have the stronger round two and stronger round three and eventually find that knockout in round three as well. So I'm going to lean with the Mike Grundy side, but I'll have little sprinkles on a couple of his props, which I think are a little bit too wide here. Plus 750 on him to win via knockout. I think that's more than live in this spot, especially with Makon, who's had chin issues in the past, durability issues in the past. I think that Grundy could find that knockout blow. And then, like I said earlier, Grundy in round three is currently sitting at plus 1400. 
got to take a little bit of a shot on that as well because I do think that holds some value, especially against a guy in Makon who's, again, everything about him, optically speaking, and even durability-wise, really starts to go down the drain the later that a fight goes. So I'm going to go uh, Mike Grundy, and I'll pick him to win this fight via third-round KO. Ilya Tapuria versus Jay Herbert. We got minus 475 on Tapuria and plus 350 the return on Jay Herbert. Jay Herbert, we're just going to go with Herbert. Uh, interesting fight here for Tapuria who had a weight cutting issue back in January when he was trying to take on short notice Charles Jordan, but unfortunately he was not able to make it to the scales. They eventually canceled the fight. Uh, and again, that was at 145 pounds. Now he's trying to hop in there quickly and make up for that gaff by coming in at 155 pounds against Jai Herbert. Uh, I think that this is a great stylist to go match up for him. He should go out there and pretty much replicate what Hanato Moikano was able to do against Herbert, get this fight to the ground, get that superior jiu-jitsu going, and either find a TKO or a submission pretty much right off the bat. I'd be surprised if Herbert has much success in this fight. He's a good striker, good volume, good output, but more often than not, we see him uh, when he's going up against grapplers, he does get taken down and he kind of does... Uh, struggle in terms of dealing with those guys that have heavy top pressure. And I think that's exactly what we see from Ilya Tapori on this spot. I believe the number is 23 out of their 25 fights have not gone to a decision. And I think that trend continues here, especially with that line at minus 350. I think it's just a matter of time before either Taporia finds that TKO or submission from on top or Jai Herbert catches him with some random thing. But I'd be surprised if it's Jai Herbert getting his hand raised in the spot. Uh, the fight doesn't go to the decision is roughly around minus 350, which is much better than the minus 475 that you're getting on Taporia straight up. So I'd rather parlay the fight doesn't go to decision than parlay Taporia in the spot. But still, you can parlay both of them if you want. I still do think that the fight doesn't go to decision is just slightly better given the fact that it doesn't uh, have as juiced up as a line as minus 475. It's still minus 350, which is crazy, but uh, makes sense. Makes absolute sense because Taporia should go out there, drag this fight to the ground, and find success relatively quickly. I think he wants to stay active. I think that's why he took this fight at 155 pounds because of that whole debacle back in January. I think he wants to get a win under his uh, uh, under his belt, get back into the swing of things, and then get back into the cage as soon as he can. Maybe in June or July, maybe the big July International Fight Weekend card, uh, he wants to come back and really start to assert himself in either the 145 or 155 pound division. I think it's more so going to be the 145 pound division though i like Taporia quite a bit here i think goes out there runs through jai harbert and gets that first round finish i guess that's a prediction there Ilya Taporia via first round i don't even know does submission or tko is completely on the table here just for the fact of this uh, podcast we'll go via submission round one Molly McCann versus Luana Carolina. We got minus 130 on McCann and plus 110 the return on Luana Carolina. Now, I'm kind of surprised at the love that I'm seeing for Carolina on the Twitter timelines and every other spot that I kind of check out to get a feel of where the crowd and, and, and the public is leaning. Uh, and again, I'm kind of surprised that people are liking the Carolina side here, especially given that this is a, a hometown fight for McCann. Obvious implications from the crowd impacting the judges, especially if this fight goes 15 minutes, which more than likely it will. But I think a lot of people are taking some confidence from Luana Carolina's performance against a very highly talented straw weight in uh, Lupita Godinez but I think people fail to remember that Lupi took that fight on six days notice up a weight class against a much bigger opponent and normally her style is to grapple to try to get her opponents to the ground and really try to wear on them get that ground a pound or get that submission 
But she was unable to get Carolina down, and rightfully so. Carolina is a very big fighter, uh, especially for someone coming up a weight class to go out there and fight her. Carolina, you know, when she is at her best, she uses her range decently against opponents that are willing to fight her at kickboxing range. Uh, she is a little bit more of a kickboxer than anything. Uh, she At times, you see her do well on the ground, like she did find some success against Godinas on the ground, being on top of her. But again, I think a lot of that had to do with the size advantage she had in that fight. And she will have a size advantage here against Molly McCann, but I think Molly is way more fit for this flyweight class compared to what Lupi was bringing, to, uh, especially on short notice up a weight class i just don't think that carolina is that good honestly you know she only has two losses in her career uh the most recent one obviously being to uh ariani lipsky via that weird uh knee bar that she uh, submitted to but i don't know how much more she really has to offer I think that this is a great matchup for Molly McCann to go out there and kind of uh, do what she did in the G Yoon Kim fight, which is just forward pressure. Don't worry about the fact that you're going to be at a reach disadvantage because she does a very good job with her hard nose striking style and her speed in terms of closing that distance, landing on her opponents, and either looking for takedowns after that or getting back out into space and then just resetting and doing the same thing over and over again. I expect her at her optimal level to go out there and outstrike Luana Carolina uh, just by, you know, crashing the pocket the way that I said, and letting off a couple strikes, getting the roar of the crowd, having that impact the judge, and then eventually take that round. If she does get taken down here by Carolina, because Carolina does have some sneaky trips and throws that she might be able to implement, especially if uh, Molly McCann wants to go out there and wrestle tirelessly or relentlessly, uh, but I wouldn't really suggest that for McCann. I think that she could try to change levels and try to get Luana thinking about the takedowns that are coming, but ultimately focus on her hands, try to get her uh, output out there, and just try to you know keep Luana Carolina backing up. That's where Molly McCann works best. Just watch the Ji Yoon Kim fight. I think that's a perfect example of how I think this fight with Carolina is going to go. Now, the Procopio fight is a little bit of a uh, an eye-opener for some people, but I bet Procopio at underdog odds there, knowing that she's an aggressive fighter with the great grappling game a solid black belt in jiu-jitsu and she's able to sh show the full uh, array of skills on the ground by getting uh, McCann to the ground over and over again and winning that fight via decision one thing I did like for McCann though was that she was kind of active off of her back she threw up some very close arm bars from guard and you know very impressive especially against a, a black belt like Laura Procopio and I think if she finds herself in a similar position like that against Luana Carolina, she might get that submission, which is why I think plus 1100 on Molly McCann to win via submission is worth a little bit of a sprinkle. She looks for the submissions, and I just don't think that Carolina is that good to, uh, to, to uh, where she will be able to get out of something like that. Again, people may look at the Godinez fight and be like, oh, if Godinez was not able to find a submission, why will Molly McCann be able to? Well, Molly is way more prepared for this fight, having a full training camp. And uh, again, she this is her actual weight class. She should be able to deal with uh, whatever size advantage that Carolina will have in this spot. But like I said, the best way for McCann to win this fight, hard nose striking, forward pressure, get in and out with their strikes, get the roar of the crowd, get that to weigh on the judges, and then eventually get that decision victory. So um, at slight favorite money, I don't mind the shot here on Molly McCann, as I do think that optically that this is a great fight for her to go out there and win a Molly McCann type fight. So official prediction here is going to be Molly McCann, and I'll take her to win this fight via decision.
Gunnar Nelson versus Takashi Sato. We got minus 450 on Gunny and plus 340 the return on Takashi Sato. Now, this is the first time we're going to see Gunnar Nelson step inside the cage since September of 2019, where he was uh, beaten by Gilbert Burns that night via decision. And uh, apparently, he's had a couple rib injuries that he's been dealing with over the last couple of years. But now he is more than healthy to get back inside the cage. Hence why we see him going up against short notice Takashi Sato. Claudio Silva was actually supposed to be the original opponent for Gunnar Nelson. Unfortunately, he had to pull out and in steps into Kashi Sato, who's been outside of the cage for a pretty long time himself. He fought Miguel Baeza, uh, I believe it was in 2020. Let me just get the exact number here. He fought him in 2020. I want to call it November. Uh, yeah, November 2020, where he got finished by Miguel Baeza by a arm triangle choke. Uh, and that's a big red flag here for a guy who's gotten finished three times via submission in the last three years. Bilal Muhammad was able to find the submission against him. Obviously, like I said, Miguel Baeza was able to find the finish uh, via submission. And even Glyco Franza, back on the regional scene in Pancras, was able to find the submission against Takashi Sato. My concern here is what is the ring rust and injuries, uh, or how much of an impact are those things going to have on Gunnar Nelson stepping back inside the cage here now against a, you know, a power puncher in Takashi Sato. He uses a similar karate style, similar to what we see from Gunnar Nelson, and he, you know, really uh, blitzes in very nice uh, and lands some big shots. He's able to get his knockouts. And that's where he kind of relies on most is to go out there, find that chin of his opponents and put their lights out. He did it against Jason Witt. He did it against uh, um, uh, Ben Saunders. There's a couple guys he's been able to put out. Gunner again, it's it's it, for me, it's skeptical in terms of what his durability looks like because he may not look like a minus 450 if he's not able to get this fight to the ground. And that's kind of my concern here. But once he gets the fight to the ground, the guy is an absolute wizard. He does a very good job in terms of even right after landing takedowns, finding himself in a very dominant position, whether it's flowing to the full mount or even flowing to the back mount. And then from there, he's able to use this heavy top pressure to just wait and bide his time for that submission to eventually open itself up and i think that's what we end up seeing in this spot for him as well so i'm not running to the betting window to to parlay gunner nelson in the spot there's a couple red flags for me going into this fight you know the injuries and the and the layoff but uh, i do think that this is a tailor-made matchup for him to go out there and do what we all know we what he can do and that's use that jujitsu to the best of his abilities so uh, as an official prediction, I'm going to go with Gunnar Nelson via second round submission, but uh, I would rather play Gunnar Nelson inside the distance rather than playing his minus 450 line in this spot. So uh, official prediction, let's go Gunnar Nelson, second round submission. Paddy the Batty Pimblet going up against Rodrigo Vargas. We got heavy chalk on the Pimblet side as he's coming in at minus 490 plus 360 the return on the Mexican Rodrigo Vargas. Now, last time we saw Vargas inside the cage, he was able to spring an upset as a plus 200 underdog to Rong Zhu way back at UFC 261, which, if I'm not mistaken, was the first pay-per-view event back in front of a live crowd in the U.S. Uh, great fights leading up to that fight. And then we saw Vargas kind of pull away from uh, Rong Zhu in that fight just based off activity and volume. Rongju just couldn't get anything going. We saw some takedowns as well from both sides, and it was very eye-opening, especially when looking into this fight, how he's going to match up against Paddy, that Rongju was able to get the takedowns the way that he was against Rodrigo, and I feel like we can see Paddy take that similar approach. 
that is Patty's game, right? I don't know what it was in the Luigi Vendramini fight. Maybe it was the black belt that he was hesitant of with uh, Vendramini on the ground. But we didn't see him attack the grappling as much as we have seen on his regional tape before he came to the UFC. He was willing to go out there and just throw leather with uh, Luigi Vendramini. And it almost got him in trouble as he got rocked and hurt uh, very early in that fight. But managed to show off his durability, show off his resilience, and then come back and find a finish of his own. That can pack some power as well. I'm hoping he doesn't get sucked into the energy and the vibe of the crowd and try to go out there and have this crazy slugfest type performance because I feel if he goes out there and just drags this fight to the ground, the guy's going to have immediate success. I think that he's very good from on top, has some good top pressure, has some good jujitsu, and has some sneaky submissions of his own. I don't think that Vargas will be ready for that type of approach. Obviously, he's going to be pre preparing for it, but I don't think that he's going to be able to stand well here against Pimblet, who's in a very obvious squash match type of situation. The fight doesn't go to decision is not too bad of a look, in my opinion, either, as that's around minus 270. Could be a parlay piece. Even Pimblet could be a parlay piece as well. But I do think that it's just a matter of time before Pimblet breaks Rodrigo Vargas on the ground and either snatches up a submission or snatches up a, a TKO via ground and pound himself uh again I, i've been very vocal that i don't think that pimblet is you know going to be top 10 maybe even top 8 material no matter how long he goes out there uh in the ufc and tries to get you know favorable matchups i think at a certain point in time in this 155 pound division he's going to meet somebody that's going to be able to you know nullify that grappling advantage he normally has over his opponents and then really punish him on the feet maybe even find a knockout of their own let's not forget you know Pimblet has a loss to Cameron Ellis, although it was early in his career. Cameron Ellis is not that great of a fighter, in my opinion. So it's just a matter of time before we see that exposed once again. And again, not to mention, Pimblet's lost a couple fights, uh, you know, even before coming to the UFC. Funny enough, before he fought Nad Naramani, he was offered a contract to come to the UFC. He turned it down because he wanted more money. And he's like, I'm going to go prove myself a little bit more in Cage Warriors. And then you guys are going to pay me. He ends up losing the fight to Nadir Armani. Bounces back with another win, but then loses another fight against Soren Bach. Again, another spot where I think he was offered another contract from the UFC, turned it down, wanted to get paid more, and it kind of blew up in his face. Since then, he was able to go on a two-fight winning streak, finishing both opponents, and then I believe that they were able to come to an agreement on a number to bring Paddy Pimblett finally to the UFC. Uh, you know, again, uh, close-ish uh fight in that uh in that scrap against Vendramini in his debut but I don't think that this one is going to be that close I do think he runs through Vargas in the spot uh I was hesitant at first pre-tape to be high on Pimblet in the spot but I think he absolutely goes out there and runs through Rodrigo Vargas so uh official prediction I'm gonna go with Patty Pimblet and I think he gets this finish uh let's call it second round via submission Time for the co-main event. We got Arnold Allen coming in at minus 115, going up against Dan Hooker at minus 105 right now. And I'm very excited for this matchup because it's a legitimate step up for, Ar for Arnold Allen, who's really trying to put a stamp on this winning streak that he has coming inside the UFC. The kid's undefeated, very difficult to, to find success against the kid as he's very disciplined, very patient, uh, but I think that might come to bite him in the ass here against a, a very active and volume-heavy Dan Hooker. Now, last time we saw Arnold Allen inside the cage, he went out there and beat Sadiq Youssef via decision in a pretty tactical matchup. He was able to find the openings to hurt Sadiq in the first and second round, ultimately giving up that third round, uh, but he did have a little bit of grappling and clinch success in that first round as well. 
we have seen at times where he tries to take that approach and really try to impose his strength against his opponents but he doesn't do a good job in terms of controlling his opponents once he gets them to the ground and I think that's where he's going to struggle here against Dan Hooker where Hooker does a good job with his footwork good job with his movement has pretty damn good takedown defense as long as he's not fighting a guy like Islam Mahachev like he did in his last fight but uh, I think Allen will have a lot of trouble tracking down Dan Hooker here, dealing with the size discrepancy in the spot. And I do think that we'll see Dan Hooker just pretty much out volume his way to a decision victory in the spot. I like Dan a lot. I know the big thing here is the fact that he's going back down to 145 pounds, but if he's able to do it correctly, apparently he had a very good test cut at the apex uh, a couple months back. He can do it in a healthy manner as long as he has everything dialed in. And as long as he comes and shows up at close to 100% on fight day, I think he goes out there and does absolute work against Arnold Allen. Arnold, uh, we've only really seen him have high output in a fight against uh, Gilbert Melendez, where Melendez just, you know, again, that version of Gilbert was just nowhere near close to what he used to be when he was a strike force champion way back in the day. So good win from Allen there in terms of being able to get that name on his belt. But, you know, of course, he's going to be able to get, you know, 100 plus significant strikes off on a guy like that who's going to kind of give up uh, the back foot and allow Allen to kind of dictate the pace there. I think we'll see Hooker use the big cage here to his advantage by using as much real estate of that as possible with his stick and move style, using his kicks from the outside and just kind of keeping Arnold Allen at bay. The obvious concern here from a lot of people is the chin issues and possible durability issues of Dan Hooker, but I think that's kind of being over-exaggerated here, especially considering that Arnold Allen has not found a knockout in his professional MMA career since 2014. That was even before he made it to the UFC. So, you know, he's recorded three knockdowns inside the UFC, but I don't think he's going to be able to find that big shot to uh, to drop uh, Dan Hooker here, as I think that Hooker will do a good job with his footwork, his striking, his distance management, and keeping Allen on the outside as he's going out there and throwing his own volume and his own output as well. So I think that this is a great spot for Dan Hooker as long as the weight cut and everything goes well. After we see him go out there and go back to form, which is why a lot of people were very high on him in you know big spots that he was supposed to go out there and get the win, like Michael Chandler and, and Edson Barboza. Uh, Arnold Allen, on the other hand, again, only eight fights in the last seven years. I think that's why he's not getting talked about as much for most people. But uh, this is a big step up for him, and I think he's going to be in some trouble as Dan Hooker starts you know, getting ahead of him minute by minute by landing those shots, staying with the output. And I also wouldn't be surprised if we see Dan Hooker go out there and try to impose his size on Arnold Allen by looking to grapple himself. He has a pretty sneaky submission game, has a pretty sneaky wrestling game as well. So I wouldn't be so surprised if he tries to dominate in that aspect. But I think what's best for him, keep this at range and just give us a classic Dan Hooker type performance. So I like Dan Hooker here a decent amount. Uh, I already took a bet on him. Uh, at around minus 110 but I do like Hooker here to get the win I'm gonna call it via decision time for the main event and we got Tom Aspinall making his main event debut for the UFC going up against the veteran Alexander Volkov we got minus 120 on Tom Aspinall right now and plus 100 the return on Drago uh, again 43 fight veteran Huge step up here for Tom Aspinall to try to take on a Goliath like Volkov, especially after going out there and beating on a guy in Sergei Spivak, who seemed intimidated the moment he stepped inside the cage. 
Now, I did have a half unit shot on Sergei Spivak at plus 190 in that spot, as I believed if he was able to endure that early onslaught, he should be able to start taking over the later that the fight went on. But like I said, he looked intimidated right from the jump. He didn't throw any strikes. He landed a, a, a grand total of zero significant strikes to begin with. So that didn't help. And Tom Aspinall was able to have his way with him. And I'll give Tom some credit there, man. That finish was absolutely beautiful. It started off with the beautiful elbow inside the clinch. But that elbow was perfectly set up because he threw a knee that we saw Sergei Spivak react to. Drops his guard to try to block the knee. And then he just gets clipped with a beautiful elbow. Uh, great work from Tom Aspinall to be able to get that finish before that he was able to dispatch of Andre Arlovsky in a fight where in the first round he hurt Arlovsky uh, I'd say midway through the round but it seemed like he almost emptied his gas tank trying to finish Arlovsky and just uh, uh, pretty much relied on pushing Ar Andre Arlovsky up against the cage and stalling for the last minute to minute and a half so that he could gather his energy and come back out there in the second round and try to get the finish like he did. If he tries to do that against Alexander Volkov, tries to stall against the cage, I think he's going to be in some big trouble as Volkov is very good at digging underhooks almost immediately, getting his back off the cage or digging some uh, knees into his opponent or even just breaking back out into space and getting back to his handiwork, which is that range kickboxing style that he likes. Even in that second round for Tom Aspinall, it seemed a little bit flat up until the moment that he rushed Andre Arlovsky, got that takedown, and eventually got that rear naked choke. A lot of people are commending him for that rear naked choke, but it really seems sloppy to me in the aspect that Andre Arlovsky didn't even try to fight it. Like as soon as uh, Aspinall got the the his arm under the chin, uh, it seemed like uh, uh, Andre Arlovsky automatically accepted that he was going to tap, and he tapped almost immediately. Now, good, you know, I don't want to completely shit on Tom Aspinall. Great uh, awareness from him and great fight IQ from him to snatch up the neck in that particular moment. But I'd be surprised if he catches Volkov in something like that. Now, Aspinall, I think the majority of his win condition in this fight is to get that knockout in the first round. If he's not able to, I think things get very difficult for him, especially as Alexander Volkov starts chipping away at him and really starts wearing on that gas tank. I do think that uh, Aspinall has potential but it's a very tough task to overcome a guy in Alexander Volkov who's only ever been knocked out twice in his 43-fight career. Uh, the last time he got knocked out was obviously Derek Lewis after he butchered him for 14 and a half minutes and then got caught at the end of that fight. But the last time even before that was back in 2013 where he got finished by Vitaly Minikov, one of the best heavyweights outside of the UFC. But outside of that, it's very difficult to put away a guy like Alexander Volkov, who does a very good job in terms of managing his, his distance and managing his range and then using his footwork to get out of bad positions and get back to his handiwork, like I said, which is his range kickboxing fight. Tom Aspinall will have the speed advantage early in this fight, but I don't think it's something that he's going to be able to rely on the deeper that this fight goes. I can see Volkov kind of just chipping away at him with teeps to the body and just leg kicks and keeping him on the outside. And then I think at a certain point in time, he's going to be able to find that finish probably in the third or fourth round of this fight. Again, people are going to rag on me. I know I can already feel it coming in the comments section. I can feel it coming from all the tweets that I'm probably going to get after people watch this podcast being like, oh, you always overlook Tom Aspinall. You bet against him against Spivak. You picked against him against Arjelovsky. Like you're going to learn again, right? I, I was always waiting for a legitimate opponent to take him solidly against right and I feel like we're getting exactly that here against Alexander Volkov I only went half unit with Spivak because the odds were pretty good in my opinion at plus 190 
but we're getting close to you know a plus one right now it's at plus 100 i'm expecting some tom aspinall love to come uh throughout the week here and we might even get volkov in that plus 120 to plus 130 range which is when i'll pull the trigger for at least two units in this spot but you know, again, it's heavyweight. Tom Aspinall's speed might be a factor here, and he might be able to find that chin of Volkov, which is why I'll likely play the under three and a half in this spot as well, which will cover that early Aspinall finish. However, I think even if Aspinall doesn't find that finish early in this fight, Volkov will more than likely find it by that fourth round, hopefully. So I'll be a little bit heavier on the Volkov than I am on the under three and a half. But in case Aspinall does get that early finish here, at least I'll be able to kind of nullify my losses on the Volkov side of things. But I feel quite convicted on the Volkov side here, man. He's very impressive still. And albeit, you know, the last fight that he had against Marcin Tybur, a lot of people are giving him flack for that. But he still went out, went out there and won. Like that was one of the weirdest performances we've ever seen from him in terms of where he seemed a little bit kind of sucked down in that second round but he did what he needed to do in that third round found his moments found the shots that allowed him to win that third round and eventually that decision but you need to show me more than just that one fight to uh to to convince me that alexander volkov is actually washed as a lot of people are saying like, he's declining he's you know he looked like shit in the last fight that's what a lot of people are going off of to bet tom aspinall in this spot not to mention all the other hype that's on the tom aspinall side but i, I don't i i don't believe it I, I really don't believe it i think volkov at 33 years old still has a lot to offer in the game and i think that he's going to be the perfect test to showcase that uh tom aspinall is not ready for this big of a step up i think the kid has potential right he can still go out there and have a solid ufc career maybe even get a title shot in the next couple of years but i think he's going to take a little bit of a, a back step here uh, taking or or you know, biting off more than he could chew at this point in time against Alexander Volkov. And I think Volkov uh, gives him a veteran lesson here. I love Volkov in this spot. Obvious early danger from Aspinall. If you have that fear and it's too much to actually bet on Volkov, it's a great live betting opportunity as well. Going into that second round, taking Volkov as I believe the knockout will come less and less for Tom Aspinall the later that this fight goes. So uh, I'll be poking the round three, round four, maybe even round two prop for Alexander Volkov. But I like the under three and a half. And I also like Volkov in this spot at underdog odds. He will more than likely be my dog of the night for this week as well. I can talk about this fight forever. I, I Again, I, I truly think that people are looking overlooking Volkov a little bit too much in this spot. And I think they're going to end up paying for it. So I'm going Alexander Volkov. I'm going to call it round three TKO. And that's a wrap on the breakdowns. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And if you haven't already, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and show your boy some love. If you want to go that extra mile, you can join the Patreon for five bucks a month. Link is in the description below. A ton of great content on there to help you improve your betting game. And not to mention, give you early access and early looks on some of these fights that are coming up. Also, shout out to CoolBet as well. Make sure you guys use promo code MMALOTN2. That's the number two. And they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. And that's pretty much a wrap. A ton of great content coming for you guys this week. We got uh, Propping You Up Thursday afternoon. We got the Deadlock podcast with me and Clint going down on Thursday as well. And I guess I might as well announce it here. Me and Clint are going to be doing the Friday Ultimate Weigh-In Show together as well. I believe that's going to be taking place at 3 p.m. Eastern where we give our final looks on the fights 
especially after the the weigh-ins that are going to be going down as well. So make sure you guys go check that out. And please, 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 if you guys enjoyed the Deadlock podcast, you guys obviously noticed that the last episode isn't on my channel. That's because it's on its permanent home now, which is the Deadlock podcast channel. Link to that is in the description below. Please make sure you guys go over there, hit subscribe over there, and show some so show some support. God damn, I got to get these words out. Show some support on that podcast as well because I love doing that one with Clint. You know, we talk all betting all week, but at least for that one podcast, we get to just be fans of the sport, talk about some of the storylines, and then a couple of the segments as well that we like to go in there. The fighter stonks, the deadlock duel, the let's get deep, all of that stuff, all on the deadlock podcast. Make sure you guys go check that out. All right, I'm going to quit the rambling. Appreciate the love as always. Like and subscribe. You guys all know all that. Comment below what your favorite picks as well. We can have some arguments in the comment section if you like whether you're trolling or not it all is welcome all is accepted let's fucking go i'll see you guys throughout the week good luck on your bets